Hello and welcome to another episode of uh, this chronic waste of time that we call Football Unfocused, hosted by two former school friends that are still in contact, even though we are now 40 years old, both of us. <laughs> and Mark, that's Matt. Matt, you're laughing. Why already? Uh, just you, you, you're quite aged focused. Increasingly so, I would say. Yeah, <laughs> I've become increasingly obsessed with age. The older I get, yeah, most people try and yeah. bury their head in the sand and just sort of no, don't mention it, get really insecure about it. I carry the insecurity as well. <laughs> yeah, and podcast about it regularly. Yeah, just talk. You know, this is like a therapy session. Um, <laughs> where I'm sort of sharing openly with the six people that listen. Um, and yeah, it's, and it's not a lot good about turning forty. Um, well, in fact, there is nothing good about turning forty. Um, no, if I was better informed, I'm sure I could think of a 40 year old that suddenly came to prominence and oh no i think there are like there are things in your life that will daniel that craig probably, probably wasn't enjoy there is a freedom I do, I, the, one of the things i have enjoyed about getting like just older moving through the 30s as well is you stop giving a shit like the <laughs> well, stuff did, that maybe would have bothered you in your 20s you stop like giving what? a shit well I, in your 20s i always your flies feel, undone yeah yeah washing <laughs> doing skid marks hair. Yeah, exactly. Just just go out. No, I don't mean I don't I don't mean personal standards, Matthew. I mean um like say you're in your twenties, in that kind of post uni phase, I always felt that like socially you end up having to do a lot of things because you're still in that, that kind of mentality of going out in kind of like big groups and stuff. And I I was never mm. really like I never used to particularly enjoy that, that sort of stuff. And, and so so you kind of as the years go on, you feel more kind of liberated to just step away from it and stop doing it. If you don't want to do something, just, just don't do it, and you do things a lot more on your terms. And I enjoy, I enjoy the more that. sort of intimate friendship relations. That yeah, you, have. you know, I like, a, I like, a, you know, just preferably one other person, um, <laughs> and I, I like to stare at them in the eye and uh, talk to them about uh, their feelings for a couple of hours. Um, yeah, but other than that, weirdly, I'm. Even though I'm insecure about it, my life has changed almost, um, <laughs> it, almost not not at all um, in sort of the last fifteen years or so. Really, like the things I do, I go to football, I but exercise, life... I go to gigs, I go to the pub. <laughs> yeah, whose life? Whose life would you have said out of people you know that have changed? You know. Well, indescribably that, in the last 15 years. Well, I think if you have, if you put children into the um, arena... Oh, no, no. Things, Our, you know, since... And the fact you know, that I'm sort... a 40-year-old man who hasn't had children uh, means uh, that right, my life yeah. has been unaffected in a way that if you have children, they are. Because, you know, if you're suddenly... Mm. Your priorities completely change, don't they? If you're, you've got asses to wipe and <laughs> mouths to feed. Not just your own. <laughs> no. No, you missed the David Brent mouse to feed uh, reference there. Oh right, what's I've got? Bigging up what he what the, his pro it was when they they were making him redundant, and he he said, "Well, if you're done, I'm get go now," because he was doing his uh, he was dressed as like a a chicken or whatever for the local paper, and uh, said, "I've got got things mouths to feed to feed." When you've got the photographer and the Slough Gazette or whatever. Matthew, anyway, enough of this uh, nonsense. More nonsense. Um, three quick <laughs> questions. Uh, firstly, um, any update on your bollocks? Uh, I dropped off my second pea sample this dropped morning. Yeah. Dropped yeah. it, yeah, yeah. I got, yeah. Um, 
So never, we'll... a- never begin answering a question about your bollocks with the phrase "I dropped." Oh yeah, okay. I so you dropped off your second sample barrel of piss. Today. Yeah, it was a. It was oh man, it was it's taking its time, isn't it? Because you. Well, I had to two wait two. Ago. Yeah, so I had to wait two weeks. I think they were hoping, as I mentioned, alluded to last time, that they uh, would have. You know, I think they were hoping I would have either dropped, dropped dead, or if I've made it to the set, I've made it to the second stage of second whatever minute. condition that I have, and so yeah. they're going to pursue investigating. What- Once again, you're giving a very cynical view of medical professionals that they're they're, 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 <laughs> no, they're just they overstretched. You know, yeah, they're so overstretched, back, so they just think if the we 60s, leave them alone for two weeks, yeah, he'll, he'll, he'll snuff in, it. Well, yeah, when you know, sixties and seventies, people just used to go to hospital and never come out. So, so says my mum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and things were better then <laughs> probably in the 50s in a hospital and got out and has yeah. lived a long and fulfilled life yeah no she has yeah, so yeah. she's really bucking her own uh, <laughs> yeah exactly but, if, but you know she would want that for everyone else but when she wants to go into hospital it's very much on the basis that she can come out again excellent yeah yeah good good so right so we'll, we'll keep us updated oh right okay yeah we'll do on on on, on the bollocks because your bollocks you... really are top of uh, every, <laughs> they really are on the tip of everyone's tongue uh, oh my. that's the way you like your bollocks <laughs> to be uh matthew did you get any quick... feedback regarding the bib short problem that i had what the potential cause no our well, of our massive listenership <laughs> the person who i appealed to um, to give feedback on that particular brand of uh, cycling, cycling. Yeah. Um, uh, ball and arse protective um, <laughs> product hasn't responded in any way. I mean, I was very specific. Like I wanted, um, uh, I wanted communication via Twitter um, because yeah. just to get get some just get engagement rather than just me ranting about Mike Dean. <laughs> uh, so, um, but at, alas, nothing has come through. What is so the far. no? Yeah. What is the no look yellow card? Oh, Mike Dean, was he greatest referee of the modern era? Uh, what well, the no look yellow card is being so arrogant that you have such disdain for the person, the, the player that you're booking, <laughs> that you're holding up the yellow card whilst looking in the other direction. <laughs> yeah, Dean has been a pioneer of that in a way that uh, Bobby Firmino and, and Thiago Alcantara are masters of it in terms of passing the football, but that pales into insignificance when you've got Mike Dean holding up a yellow. He's looking, uh, he's looking west and you're in the east and you're getting that yellow. He, he can't even be bothered to look at you. What a man. Yeah. Um, What's he doing now? Is he going oh, to... he's just going to go into VAR and make poor decisions from there instead. <laughs> uh, yeah. And maybe he might go back to a bit of uh, chicken murdering as well because he, um, he, yes. he worked in an abattoir before becoming a referee and he, uh, he, he, he did a guest appearance on the Peter Crouch podcast a couple of years ago in which he admitted that he'd probably killed like personally killed like a couple of hundred thousand chickens oh my goodness over at the oh. time so so you know the natural there's nothing wrong is... yeah it's a referee yeah yeah but Sorry, I mean, there's nothing wrong with what well not that you know work having to work in an abattoir you know no it's an honest living yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you are saying so, that as a vegan Matthew well yeah I mean I would rather well qualified you know sort of um yeah, emotionally stable. Maybe I did it. It might deem emotionally stable because you, you might not be emotionally stable once you've decapitated. Yeah, well, that it does. Chickens, yeah, yeah. I think it will. So it has a lasting impact. Dark of the soul. <laughs> yeah, like Bernard Matthews. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, the Partridge Act. That 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 he said he showed him around the factory once, and and he was very open. Like, and he said, "You can go anywhere you like, but not there." And he pointed to this door, and he said, "Don't ever go in there." And all the love drained from his eyes. Yeah. Matthew, on the subject of veganism, funnily enough, my first question for you: Have you, to this point, tried the vegan Whopper from Burger King? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, I did. What did you think of said vegan whopper? It was it was okay. I think I actually prefer Linda McCartney. I think I mentioned this before. <laughs> Linda McCartney's <clears throat> quarter pounder is probably a better. Yeah, but Linda McCartney's quarter pounder is a cook at home product. I'm yeah, it's a cook about, at home product. You know, I'm because I I tried. I was out <laughs> doing some uh, gro- picking up some groceries yesterday, and I saw a flash on my phone saying Whopper Wednesday, and I thought. I normally ignore that sort of shit. I don't even know why I've got the Burger King app on my phone. <laughs> I must have used it ages ago, but it's still there. But it, but it, for one ninety nine on a Wednesday, I could either have a Whopper or a vegan Whopper. I thought, I'm going to try the vegan Whopper. I've heard really oh, yeah. good things about it. And it's an absolute revelation. Oh, really? Brilliant. I will never, ever have a Whopper again. Brilliant. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I don't eat much red meat anyway, but like once a month, yeah, maximum yeah, yeah. red meat. Um, but... Uh, that's great. I'll, never, I'll certainly never be buying meat from Burger King again. There's no need. It, yeah, honestly, no how need. they've got that flavor. I mean, Christ knows how much salt and additives and stuff there is to, to create yeah, that yeah, flavor. Yeah. But, you know, at least nothing's had to die, I suppose. And it is absolutely delicious. Yeah, yeah. No, it was It was good. It was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm changing Question my two. a bit now. <laughs> but yeah, Question two, Matthew. And it's back to your under... under Carriage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. How many pairs of pants do you own? Um, I do actually own quite a few. Um, I like, yeah, I, I, I think that's probably where my, my washing often ends up my high washing loads. Cause sometimes I'll get through one or two pants a day. Um, right, is that normal? Now, to, there's to an get... obvious sub question here, isn't there? About why you're having to change your pants. So I said that during Are you prone do you know do you often, <laughs> i know you're in your 40s now are you, are you struggling to make it on time are you no, you know i just we're here for you matt well in the same way that you enjoy and a well ironed pair of pants yes i think there's something nice about pulling on a freshly laundered you know um pair of pants no, and, I couldn't agree and, more and but if, sometimes i'm just like oh yeah you know i've had a bit of a, a rough day <laughs> I'm going to change my pants. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm ready to go. The next sure, the afternoon really, just you're, flies by. You're like by. an oligarch. You're so extravagant. So bored. Yeah, yeah. With your pant changing at will. Yeah. You know, sod the Persil, Bill. <laughs> Needs Matthew, must. final question. Yeah. Do you have life insurance? Um. Oh, fuck. Yeah, no, I don't. Mm. But this is a question. Well, no, no offence, Matt. Yeah, I'm sure you know, I've you're asked... You're supposed to say... You have to say none taken. Oh, yeah, sorry. No none... offence, Matt. Yeah, none taken. No, let no, me finish. No, 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 let, <laughs> let me finish. You have to, you have to wait until... Yeah, no offence, Matt, but technically your life is not worth insuring. <laughs> <laughs> but I've asked... I'm sure I stuck a message on... There was a time when I stuck a message on our friends group and I asked about, you know, if anyone has life insurance. And somebody, I don't know if it was you, uh, just said... Life insurance is for only cunts who are about to die or something like that. That, that definitely wasn't me. 
But there was something like that, and I was like, oh, maybe I won't bother. It seemed a lot of point in getting it if you think you're about to die, because wouldn't it? if you knew well, you were dying and got avoid. life insurance, it'd probably invalidate the policy, yeah, wouldn't exactly. it? I'm just interested to know where you get it. Have Some you got life insurance? Partners. No. No, so no. if I die, everyone around me is screwed. I know. That, uh, do you worry Matthew, about that? Go on, all right, nah, on. There's no, there's no <laughs> I'm just asking, because, I, I, you know... Um, I, if I was worth a bit more, I'd probably get life insurance. But yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to leave much of a mark. Yeah. Hopefully, I will one day, Matthew. But you know, I'm I'm at the bottom of the ladder at the moment, <laughs> desperately climbing. Uh, right, football. So, a couple of quite minor, niggly things I want to do my usual moaning about, but that <laughs> that sort of touch upon a wider issue of why the game feels the need to shoot itself in a foot and destroy what makes it special. Is there anything... You you mentioned that there's something that you uh, may have noticed this week or... What, I may have noticed. what have you noticed? <laughs> um, so I don't know if this probably does... It's not related to what you were going to talk about. But, but this morning... So yesterday, it looked like England and Ireland were going to be hosting ah. the 2028 Euros. This is on my list. And then... You. It Very was good. on your list. Okay. Yeah. So... And then today... Go. Russia and Turkey now look like they might be placing bids. And yep. for me... This is just, the Euro 2028 hosting. Yeah. And for me, it just underlined the kind of um, absolute sort of in, um, futile pursuit of sport neutrality. You know, they the, the idea that, um, you, you know, despotic... Uh, regimes who are probably some of those wealthiest around the world aren't looking to use sport or sporting events or sporting occasions to either um, uh, promote their values or um, kind of yeah whitewash the problems that they see to Mm. have Um, yeah and I think sort of sporting organizations if you I know. may be so bold, yeah, on, on, Matt, do you not think you've may you've possibly fallen into a bit of a trap there? Because I think that Russia's announcement of their intention to bid for twenty twenty eight is without doubt a piss take. Like they know they know exactly what they're doing. They're not what gonna about get Turkey then. Well Turkey maybe because Turkey have never hosted a major international tournament and they're not they're not they're not hosting it they're not bidding with Russia, are they? It's a separate bid. No, yeah, yeah. They want to completely host it. And it's a, it's a big enough country and it's got big enough, it's got good enough infrastructure and amazing stadiums and enthusiasm football. And there is an argument that, you know, you could, you definitely, the Euros, I don't think has ever been um, hosted in that part of the world. It's never been in Greece either. So, you know, that, that far edge of Southeast Europe, why but not? You've got, but, but you've got, a, you've got a leader, um, Oh, what's his name? Erdogan. Erdogan, who's sort of an increasingly kind of authoritarian oh, yeah, yeah. leader. Oh, no, no, and you're no, like, that's, yeah, this no, is no. the perfect... Yeah, you know, no, I'm not kind disputing of, that. Yeah. I agree. that, But hosting sporting events has always had an allure to sort of authoritarian... It, it has, dictators, but... I, always but going whether, way back. Hitler and Mussolini and yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the, the sort of Soviet Union as well. You know, they all got the opportunity to mm. host World Cups and Olympics, didn't they? So... I think with Russia, Russia know we all know. Like we don't have to go into the, what's going on in the world at the moment, but, but essentially, we know that they're a regime that are, you know, very deliberately um, 
separate from the narrative that the rest of the world is kind of going with and that they've they've created they create their own reality and their own version of events you know it's a you know it's an extreme version of what the tory party do when it comes to you know like the the pandemic or you know brexit or you know party gate and all that sort of stuff just deny everything if, if just deny everything you say one thing one day and then deny it the next day and then surround yourself by your pals in the media and your sycophantic allies in the in your in your cabinet that will just you know assist you in denying that what you said before uh, in black and white didn't doesn't actually uh, didn't exist and wasn't said um and Russia is kind of at the very far end of that 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 process, and so we all know that they've created this 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 madness whereby um, you know I mean did you see the, the the footage of that rally last week that Putin mm. staged in the Luzhniki Stadium, which you know quite aptly was where the the world the last World Cup final was 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 hosted, and probably really puts into perspective what a shocking decision it was to reward someone like Putin with with the World Cup and giving that opportunity um, where they're, they're having like a pro-war celebration. And he was uh, announced to this crowd of flag wavering nationalists as like a, you know, a hero as if he'd just, uh, you know, liberated Auschwitz or something instead of, you know, a, an unprovoked invasion of, uh, of, uh, uh, you know, Democrats, uh, democratically elected um, government in a, in a country whose borders are supposed to be secured by all of the national conventions. So, Russia play their own game and they know what they're doing. They've just had, they're not allowed to play any international football at the moment. They're not taking part in any national sport. Their clubs have been thrown out of competition. They've had Grand Prix taken away from them, all that sort of stuff. They know they're not going to win any bid to host uh, a European championship anytime soon. They're just being pricks, basically. They're just, you know, I think they're just having a bit of a laugh. And it's probably, you know, they know that it will, people who kind of take it seriously will, that they'll get irritated by it and that probably makes them smile and it just it essentially shows what an insolent and um you know kind of disgusting regime that they are that, that, that during the current situation where you know they're annihilating Mariupol to the you know to make it unrecognizable uh exactly the same way that they did in Aleppo in in Syria uh, that they think that that's a good time to kind of you know have a joke at everyone's expense and a bit of a bit of a middle finger up to the rest of the world or UEFA or whatever it is. So I wouldn't take I wouldn't take it too seriously, and they're not going to get it. And I think it probably also is because earlier this week, um, I think the intention is to announce who's won the bid to host that tournament um, in the autumn of this year. But it looks like that the UK Ireland joint bid was going to be unopposed. So it would essentially, by as early as next month, it would be announced that they've got it and we can start planning. Um, but So they've probably done it for that reason as well, just to delay, mm-hmm. just as a petty way of kind of delaying things. Turkey, yeah, I mean, you, you, that, that's to be kind of taken seriously. And Erdogan, maybe he's using the, the fact that he's, he's kind of taken a slightly surprising step of, 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 of being quite critical of, uh, of Putin, his former buddy, um, and trying to act as kind of a bit of a broker of peace between Russia and Ukraine, or appearing to anyway, maybe using the the relative goodwill of that to boost his chances of getting it. But there is no, there's no kind of logical, moralistic reason why anyone would get awarded an international tournament because you know football authorities, both internationally and domestically, are have shown themselves time and time again to be you know morally bankrupt to the highest degree, really. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah, the, the idea that uh, it's obviously farcical, the idea that Russia would be awarded the 2028 euros, but but it is quite an easy next step to say, OK, well, we're not going to award it to Russia because of what they've done in Ukraine. But why are we then sort of happy to endorse it in certain other questionable countries? And, it, yeah. and even recently, you know, Harry Kane has sort of come out and said that he's going to try and sort of organize a you know a group of international captains to flag the the quote-unquote issues i think he said issues or you know in in qatar later this year yeah um, they, well, i think we've discussed it on here before that the qatar world cup is is late for later this year is massively problematic and it gives people who kind of give a shit um about human beings a, a, quite a quite a dilemma as to do you kind of get involved in celebrating the biggest football tournament that only happens once every four years, that you grow up, one of the key things that gets you into football and it all feels magical and exciting and shiny. And do you kind of stick with that regardless of where it's being hosted or do you kind of make, take a kind of moral, noble ob- objection and step away and not watch this one? And my the view that I've come to is that I'm not going to buy anything that, benefits and supports that world cup i'm not going to travel to it i'm not going to you know but me not turning on my tv and what not watching the bbc that night isn't really that's not going to help anyone is it it's not that's that's not that's a completely futile gesture and also i I kind of ultimately i don't want these fuckers to stop me enjoying football and i'm not you know i'm not as bothered about international football as maybe i used to be and maybe a lot of people are but i still watch the world cup you know and um, but yeah, it is rotten, and there's lots of awful things about. You know, you've got to think to yourself, why? We well, we all know why they got it in the first place. And <laughs> you look at the, the numbers of essential slave labourers who have died building the stadiums, the way in which the LGBTQ plus community have historically been treated in that part of the world, and are likely to be treated if they overtly display their their true selves in um, in December. And, you know, other things as well, like just sort of workers' rights and, um, and, you know, political freedom to speak out and stuff like that. But we're a long way from um, from making decisions about international tournaments and, and events on the basis that uh, they kind of are representative of regimes that tick a box against what we would ideally like. If you, you know, you, if you go down that road, then... I suppose it's it's pretty tricky. They, you know, sport likes to say that all the time that it's not political. As we discussed last week, it, it is, and whether they like it or not, it is. Mm-hmm. It's like with the Chelsea thing at the moment. You know, the fa- the fans who will try and say, "Oh, but you know, this has got it shouldn't affect the club." Well, you've taken money from a, 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 a an individual like Abramovich, and so you've you've made a decision there, and you've aligned yourself with something. So now you have to take the consequences, and uh, yeah, but. But the long and short of it is, Matt, <coughs> don't worry about it. Russia are not getting that tournament. So, you know, I'm pretty sure that's <laughs> going to be a, a Euros in uh, the UK and Ireland. That'll be great. And by the way, that shouldn't be underestimated, actually, that the, um, you know, the UK and Ireland are sort of joining together to host a, a, a tournament using all parts of the UK uh, and Ireland. Um I think that would be absolutely brilliant. It would be great for, for Ireland as a country to... Um, they've never been able to host a major international um, tournament before. It would be absolutely fantastic. Um, so, yeah, there's, an, there's actually a bit of an issue there with uh, Northern Ireland, or the North, as I 
prefer to call it, as someone who believes that that should be a united country and we should have nothing to do with it, but well, probably shouldn't go uh, there. But um, that that they have been quite insistent that all parts of the UK, as obviously they they are technically, um, uh, should be included and given um, you know games to host. But one of the stipulations of um, of hosting a Euro match is that your ground needs to hold a minimum of thirty thousand. Um, and at the moment, Northern Ireland doesn't have that. Windsor Park, their national stadium, got redeveloped recently and still only got an 18,000 capacity. I think they've got a, a ground... Annoyingly, I was talking about this with Kelly the other day and I've now forgotten the name. It's called like... Date. Oh, it's on the edges of Belfast, on the west side of Belfast, basically, which is a GAA stadium. And if they can get approval to use... I think that's like a much bigger site. And if they can get approval to use that football... And that's always complicated as well because, um, you know, obviously there's some his- historic reasons why the GAA might be reluctant to get involved in hosting kind of anglicised sports and I totally respect that but if they can get over that hurdle then um, they could use that stadium and then all parts of um, all parts of the various nations of the UK can be represented but that'll be you know something to look forward to in it in six years time is that Croke? Croke no Park? Croke Park's in Dublin no no it's in, it's in the north it's on the west side of Belfast but um, Semple Stadium what's it called? Semple Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. You, you'll have to cut this bit because I will now Google it and um Oh, oh god then. Where is it? But you need to say what GAA is as well. <laughs> oh well you got it you can't you can't spoon feed uh <laughs> Nobody would know what that means. Yeah they do. People who listen in Ireland do No, you'd be surprised. Alright, alright. Casement Park it's called. Okay. So yeah, Casement Park apparently is big enough to um, potentially host uh, uh, matches of that scale. I don't know what the current. I think yeah. So the current capacity is thirty-one and a half thousand. But as I said, there are kind of historical and political complications at getting approval for uh, a GAA stadium to host kind of anglicised sports because you know. For, for very obvious reasons, that can be controversial. Um, so, like Croke Park as well, you know, it's a huge stadium. It was about 80,000 people. But also, another complication there will be that quite a big part of that is a, a standing terrace behind one of the goals, which is amazing for atmospheres on big JAA uh, matches, be it um, hurling or Gaelic football. And I very much doubt that they would want to you know, remove that. But I'd, I'd, I'd imagine that, one of the stipulations of hosting a the Euros would be it has to be an all seater stadium. So, so I'd imagine that is one of many reasons why I'd be surprised if Croke Park was um, was used. Uh, on the subject of hosting stuff, there's I don't know whether you've been following at all uh, this story this week about the FA Cup semi-finals, which are taking place over the Easter weekend. Now, if you want a kind of an an an, an example of how uh, out of touch and inconsiderate and arrogant the FAR um, in terms of scheduling and organising football matches, then the, it doesn't get any better than this. And what really pisses me off is that the Premier League, since it kind of broke away from the FA in the early 90s, get a lot of stick 
for their inconsiderate scheduling of matches, you know, moving all the kickoff times for TV, half four on a Sunday, Monday night, even Friday night. And and for good reason. Some of them are kind of unforgivable in terms of the, you know, the lack of consideration for the people who are the lifeblood of the game, which is the match attending fan. But the FA, whenever they're given the opportunity to kind of be different and to be better than that, are actually worse. And so the FA Cup semi-finals, for a start, are... In the year 2022, both once again due to be played at Wembley Stadium. Now, this is a tired old drum to beat, but it's worth saying again. I would I would go as far as to say that if you spoke to, if you took a groundswell of opinion, if you did a massive, massive survey and sent it out to um, every single person who's bought, I'm not talking about people who don't go to games because I don't know what, People like that think what I still think actually a lot of them are still concerned with you know the traditions of the game. But certainly, if you took a survey of people who go to football matches and would therefore potentially be entitled to a ticket if their team was to get to the FA Cup final, and you said to them, the FA Cup semi, the finals obviously played at Wembley. The achievement of getting to the final is to you know the reward for that is to have your showpiece game at Wembley. Do you think the semi final should also be played there? I would suspect that at least eighty percent of people would say no, absolutely not. It's a fucking outrage. And obviously, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, historically, because the thing is, it's going back so long now that you have, you do kind of have to remind people that historically, FA Cup semi finals were always played in neutral venues. Often they were played somewhere, for example, if you had a northern team and a southern team, then they'd play in the Midlands. Villa Park is a classic FA Cup semi-final venue. Hillsborough, although, of course, you know, has some unfortunate uh, now um, memories and hasn't had a semi-final since 1989. But again, that was a, that was a classic semi-final venue. Main Road and Old Trafford in uh, Manchester. Even I remember Liverpool playing Portsmouth at Highbury in uh, in 1992 in the semi-final, and they are so special. You go to a neutral venue and it's fantastic. It re- it just is amazing. And when Wembley was redeveloped in uh, in 2000, and then they didn't they, it, everything overran, and the costs overran, and the time overran, so they didn't open it again until 2008. And one of the unfortunate consequences of that was the FA saying, right, we are now going to have to host the semi-finals at Wembley as well because we've got ourselves into such debt with the overspend here that we need to pay that back. Once we've recouped all the money and paid off that debt, then we can go back to playing the semi-finals in the way you want them. And they've, I think that they go of the view... They've, they've, there's two, two pronged as to why they've not done that. They've got used to the money, um, and they uh, also I just have such a low opinion of football fans that they just assume that everyone would have forgotten about it and got so used to Wembley and that we all love it now. And we don't love it. And it's absolute bollocks. I mean, you even the other night listening to the... Um, I was watching the, the, the Forest-Liverpool game and I think it was Lee Dixon on that they, they sort of referenced the commentator, the ITV commentator referenced the semi-finals and said about they're going to be Easter weekend at Wembley. And Lee Dixon was sort of saying, yeah, well, if you ask me, they should never be played at Wembley. And I think I speak for a lot of people. And the, the commentator probably, I don't know whether he was worried about pissing off his employers or, you know, undermining a product that ITV paid to to, to um, broadcast. But he just kind of went quiet. And this particular occasion is even more, even worse, this coming set of FA Cup semifinals, because 
They're asking Liverpool and Man City to both come down from northwest England on the Easter weekend where travel is always difficult anyway. But on that particular weekend, they're doing major engineering work on the whole of the northwest train line, which means that Euston Station is shut entirely shut for the for the for the sort of cross-country trains i think little local trains are still going but that is it so the whole rail network is shut uh and they're still digging the hills in and saying it's it's going to be at wembley the train companies i mean they're i could talk all day about how much i despise them as well um but in this on this occasion i don't think they're the bad guys because apparently they contacted the fa last autumn and said you're you're going to have a situation where you've your FA Cup semi-finals are both scheduled to take place Easter weekend. If anyone from kind of uh, north of uh, Watford Gap gets there, they're <laughs> going to struggle to get there by public transport. So you're either going to it's going to either lead to like chaos on the roads, or you know, or you can you've got time now to to plan it. Now you could stay set Old Trafford. I was seventy thousand or seventy five thousand people. Now, some people would say, "Oh, would that not favour Man City?" Liverpool's thirty miles away from Manchester, so you know you could. The city fans get to play in their home, uh, their home city. It would, I used this to a mate the other day. Is it would be like the equivalent of Arsenal playing Watford in the FA Cup semi-final at Tottenham. It's yeah, okay, it's closer to Arsenal, but it's also incredibly convenient for Watford and all the all the fans, and it's fair. And why they're not just you know doing the right thing and moving it, I don't know. And whether that you know it's going to be interesting because they're still now on Thursday, sort of four or five days after the the quarterfinal weekend, they've still not confirmed uh, the kickoff time or the date. But it's it's so infuriating, and it's an insight into what it's like essentially being someone who you try and build your life around sort of going to football, you try and make plans and you just can't because the arrogance of these fuckers who make the decisions, they do not give a shit. And what pisses me off about it is if the stadium, if everyone just said, right, that's it, we're, we're done. We're, we're going on strike. And if you, if you kind of um, mobilize people and got them sort of energized to do that uh, and they all agreed to say, Buy a ticket for the game so it sells out, but then not go. So leave it. So make a make an honourable protest so it looks. Then that will have an effect on the TV product, which is all they really give a fuck about. Because people aren't, you know, look at the way it was during the pandemic. They didn't. No one enjoyed watching football in empty stadiums with all the echo and the covers over the seats and all that. So they're they're you know they once again they're arrogantly risking damaging their own product because they know that people will continue to go. And if one if person A decides oh he's had enough then person B on the waiting list will take that ticket and but it's it's just so disgustingly inconsiderate and the fact it's Easter weekend as well I think really just kind of adds to it not that the semi-finals shouldn't be played there because they've been played there many times but that that also means that you know people are already going to be kind of compromised and having to have difficult decisions about stepping away from maybe family events to go to a game of football <laughs> because they want to and it's a big deal they've been waiting all season for this so that they're already kind of doing that and then at the same time as you know making people travel across the country to a game that they've got no means of getting to and it will inevitably as well it won't be like three o'clock in the afternoon It'll almost certainly be like a half past five kickoff, which means that even when the trains are running, if the majority of people that need to get back to the northwest after the game would all be running for maybe two or three trains that are kind of eight, eight o'clock and later on a Saturday night. Um, so, yeah, so that is just disgusting and says everything you kind of need to know about the people who make these decisions. And on a slightly, just very quickly, on a slightly similar subject... Um, 
I always bang on about these these things that I know they don't sound important, but to a nerd like me, they are. And I think they should. I actually think they should be to everybody, because it goes back to the fundamentals of what gets you into football in the first place, and what the the kind of the visual, the iconic visual um, element of the game. Barcelona against Real Madrid is probably second to none in terms of its iconic status as the biggest game in in world football, the biggest rivalry. You could maybe put Rangers and Celtic um, on the same level in terms of like, certainly in terms of like the the heat between the two. Um, But, you know, it's a classic, it's a classic, incredible rivalry that draws people from all over the world to, uh, to tune in. It's compelling. Some of the greatest games I've ever seen has been between those two. And the, the kind of visual image of seeing the all-white team playing against the red and blue team in their classic kits, which is the same as it, what it would have been if you'd watched it 80 or 90 years ago, is, again, for people who love football, that's, it's, it's iconic, it's important, it's cherished, it's loved. And last week they played each other at the Bernabeu and uh, Barcelona had a superb 4-0 win against Real Madrid, who are almost certain to win the league um, this year. But Barcelona, since Xavi Hernandez uh, got the job, obviously one of the greatest ever players to have played the game, let alone for Barcelona. Um, they are massively on the up. And he, and it's really actually impressive that he's managing to do this by buying a couple of kind of Premier League casts off. Because he obviously is a smart enough coach to have had a very specific idea about the roles that these players were going to play. And he's reinvigorated some of the more ageing players and stuff. So it's brilliant. Um, but it, I, I sort of I tune in to watch the highlights of that. And immediately, despite the fact that, you know, I would always fall on the Barca side of that divide and I'm very happy with the result. It just ruins my enjoyment when I see both both teams, the home team as well, in their away kit. Barca <laughs> playing in some yellow and orange monstrosity. Real Madrid on their home pitch against their historic rival playing in black, all black. Why? And again, I think of, you know, some of the uh, uh, matches over recent years I've I've gone up to Anfield and seen teams who we've never had a clash with who you've got that that kind of historic vision of that's what a match between these two teams look like coming up to Anfield and changing their kit I've seen Newcastle changing their kit in recent years like Norwich and you just think oh man they just they do not give a fuck do they they literally do not give a fuck they'll destroy anything and I'd imagine it's because they It'll be for completely commercial reasons. It'll be because the sportwear firms demand that certain kit is worn a number of times per year. And maybe that awful Barcelona kit will now, because it's the kit they beat Real Madrid 4-0 in, maybe that will sell more. Well, well done. Congratulations. I hope you're fucking happy. But you're destroying the iconography and the imagery of the greatest game in the world. And it's, again, it goes back to the arrogance of they know that people love it. They know that people will continue to love it. So they take the piss and they chip away and chip away. And... uh, yeah, so that's why it's essentially, it's a futile moan because it isn't going to change. It's an irreversible trend. But that's why I say when, when, when clubs like Brentford come out and say, we're, not, we're only now going to change our kit every two years, which is what all clubs used to do until recently and they all got greedy. Um, then I think, well, that, that's all the more reason why noble stands like that should be applauded. And, you know, all power to them for it. And I wish more did it. So there you go. That's it. That's my moan for the week.
Uh, so on that, on the, on, on and, and I, there is no bombshell because, uh, I'm, oh, and by the way, I'm just going to quickly on the subject of bombshells, Matthew uh, questioned me a couple of weeks ago saying that the, on that bombshell ending. I didn't question you. I is, just said, is, oh, is did you know? The, the awful uh, cunts who uh, presented Top Gear for many years, uh, Jeremy Clarkson and co. It's got nothing to do with that. Alan Partridge ended every single episode of Knowing Me, Knowing You from the early 90s by saying, and on that bombshell, usually when something had gone disastrously <laughs> wrong, and as a man who is as, almost as fanatical about Partridge as he is about football, I shall continue to honour him, the great man Alan, by ending every episode and saying, on that bombshell, it's time to say goodbye for another week. Arrivederci. <laughs>